Lord God, we praise you because our chains are gone. We have been set free. You have ransomed us from the dire situations that we have been in before. You've purchased us by the blood of Jesus, and for that we say thank you. Left up to our own devices, we would continue to spiral downward. Things would continue to get worse and worse, but you saw fit to send your son to pay the price on our behalf and live the life that we couldn't, that we can't. Father, we just are amazed by who you are and what you've done as we sing about amazing grace, because that is exactly what it is, something unfathomable, unimaginable, but that's the kind of guy that you are. That is exactly what it is that you do, and we just say thank you. We are so overwhelmed with the amount of grace that you just pour upon us because of the depths of your love. We thank you for giving us an opportunity to experience that. And I hope and pray, Lord, that we're able to, to share this love, this, this grace with those who we come into contact with. That we would not just hold it and keep it to ourselves, but we would go and, and share this with others so that they would be encouraged as well. So, Father, as we open up your sacred text here this morning, we await uh, 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 on you to speak to us through your word. And at this moment, Father, give me the words to say and how to say them. High even behind the cross so people might see more of you and less of me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my strength and my redeemer, in whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome again this morning. Uh, thank you for, for being here with us. Um, we are in the midst of a series talking about spiritual disciplines. And as I continue to bring up, when we talk about disciplines, it can have some different types of connotations. When you say discipline, people think of them in different ways. And I mentioned before, some of the kids here in the building, they might not like the word discipline because that means something happened and getting disciplined is putting your face in a corner or something like that or whatever have you. But when we think about disciplines, we look at athletes, we look at musicians, we look at artists who are, 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 uh, love the craft that they're doing so much that they spend their time and they, they pour in their talents and they want to improve over and over until they can be whatever success is for them. Right, we brought up the the, the term of uh, talking about basketball to begin this series, and folks like Michael Jordan and, and Kobe Bryant and others like that who practice the fundamentals over and over again because you never graduate from the fundamentals. But the goal and the point is not for them to be the best dribbler in the world. The, the goal and the point is for them to be the best basketball players, to take their teams to the championships. And when you look at artists, the same is uh, true of them as well. They don't practice the scales over and over again because uh, they want to be the best at scales. 
They want to play melodious music that touches and, and, and encourages people so that they can be on big stages and concerts and, and drive people to an emotion and a response. That is their main goal. They want to sell out auditoriums because they're disciplined in their craft. And so as we look at ourselves as Christians, the mistake that we make is thinking that it's okay to, to come to church. That is absolutely paramount. You got to come to church, and that's fantastic. But some people's reason and goal for coming to church is just to sit here and act like they, they have a check mark, check mark off of something they've accomplished. That is a mistake. That is not going to get you into heaven by taking your assigned place in the pew. What we are here to do is follow after Jesus Christ towards our Savior. Our goal and aim is to be more like him and to be disciplined in learning. So the, the goal is not to come to church every Sunday. The goal for us is to follow after Christ and make him be known for our lives to be a reflection of who he is and what he's done for us. That is our goal and our aim. Our, our Super Bowl is our time together when we meet in heaven with our Lord and Savior. We'll be in the presence of our God. That's what we look forward to. That's our, our championship, so to speak. You know, that, that's, that's our auditorium that's going to be sold out with people who love Jesus. That is our goal and aim. And so for us to get there, we've got to perfect our craft, our craft in following Jesus and understanding what that means. And so we're going to spend the rest of this year and a little bit of January talking about these spiritual disciplines. How do I learn what it looks like to be a Christian and how do I apply that to my life so that I can grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ? I can thrive amongst the body of believers and I can serve Bolingbrook and the greater community. That's our mission here today. That's our mission here at this church, to grow, thrive, and serve in a Christ-centered community of faith so that people would know the name of Jesus. That's what First Baptist Bolingbrook is about. So today we're going to talk about service. You thought discipline was a little tough to swallow. When we talk, start bringing up service, people really don't, like, they check out. Like, oh, we... We need some volunteers, right? Oh, we, we're going to have a men's work day. And they're, all the men look down like, you ain't talking to me. You know, we need somebody to come and help. We're having an event. We need some people to come and help cook and serve food. And uh, I think I'm busy that day. But I didn't tell you the date yet. When we talk about service, it, it gets really tough for us. But what does it mean for us to be a servant of Christ? We hear this term, and it's kind of a churchy term when we talk about serving the Lord. But what does that mean? What does that look like? I want to demystify some of these churchy terms that you might have heard, but maybe thought of them in different ways. Look with me in your copy of God's Word in Matthew 25. Matthew 25, we're starting at verse 34. It says, that, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are, who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the fountains of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. 
Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. That's amazing for us to read through and see this because it doesn't always seem that way. But there will come a day when God will separate his obedient followers from the pretenders and unbelievers. There's a lot of people who out, out here who proclaim to be Christian, but their lives doesn't look like it. There will be a day. Just as I opened it up, up, us up this morning in our scripture reading, there will be a day when we are um, uh, before the judgment seat of Christ and when we will be asked to give an account for what it is that we did or did not do. Ultimately, the real evidence of our belief is in the way we act. You know, if, if, if somebody says they're a doctor, you would expect them to have some information. You would expect them to have some knowledge about what it means and what it looks like to be a doctor. If, if I, even outside of the office and I wanted to know how the body works and I asked somebody who told me he was a medical doctor and he's like, oh, well, you know, the body's the body. It's, you know, it's not a big deal. It just works. You don't have to worry about it. But no, but physiology, how, how does all this stuff work? If, if I eat these kinds of foods, what's going to happen to my body? Oh, you'll be fine. Everything in moderation. And that'd be a little suspect of like, I'm not sure I'm going to make an appointment with that doctor because I would expect to hear some more defined knowledge coming from that. Right? So he claims to be a doctor, but he doesn't really act like it. Or have another, any other discipline that you might think of. Somebody is, is a, an electrician, they come in and they, they're getting zapped everywhere and your, your power goes out, he can't get it back on. I'm like, I'm not going to call that guy again. He said he was an electrician, <laughs> but he clearly has no idea what he's doing. Here we are as Christians. We're saying that we're Christians but some of us don't act as if we follow the Christ of the Bible. So you might be able to fool me and those around you, but I'll tell you this, you won't ever be able to fool God. It's a waste of your time to try to fool me because I don't matter. It doesn't matter what I think or feel. What matters is the one above. And if you're working for him and trying to please him and, and get to know him, so you can act like a Christian when you, when you know other people are watching, but how is it that you're acting when nobody's paying attention? Behind closed doors, what does that look like for you? You don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to consider that. Please understand, though, that, that you're not saved by your actions. So by being good and doing good things does not give you salvation. It does not mean you're a Christian. But your salvation causes you to do the things that please God and that serve others. It's a, it's, it's a cause and effect. But when I follow Christ and I want to be like him, I, I'm going to do the things that he does. I want to do the things he asked me to do. 
it doesn't earn me more closeness or salvation with him. It just pours out at that point. So we are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, not by our actions. Our salvation causes us to live in alignment with God and serve others. So to serve others, when we think about this, is to treat everyone we come into contact with as if they were Jesus. That's what we're reading here in this parable, that we treat others as if they were Jesus. Now, what will you be willing to do if you were doing it for Jesus? What if the person next to you was Jesus himself? How would you act? What would you say? What would you do? If Jesus himself came to you and asked you for food, what would you do? If Jesus asked you for a ride to the store, would you drive him? If your Savior needed clothes for the winter, would, would you provide that for him? In this passage, Jesus is telling us, whatever we do for others, even for the least of my brothers, we did it for him. That puts a whole different look on things, right? I don't know about you, but, you know, sometimes walking in downtown Chicago, even out here in Bolingbrook, you see somebody and they're with a sign, say, I need food, I'm out of work or whatever. I've been guilty of just walking past. I don't know what's, what this dude's problem is or what's going on or what he's going to do with the money or any of that stuff. And I had to be convicted of this myself. Like, I'm, I'm thinking, well, they're probably just going to go buy drugs and alcohol with it. Or they, they're probably going to take all this money they collected and then get in their Beamer down the street. But for me, and the Lord's still working on me, I'm going to be honest with you. The conviction came in. It's like, it is, it's none of your business what they do with that money because it's not your money. What the Lord convicted me of is the Lord gave me everything that I have. And, and if he puts it on my heart to give to somebody else, I better do it. It is none of my, and hopefully they, they do, they go buy food, they do something that is, is positive for themselves and their lives. But it's, the Lord is in control. He is the one working those things, not me. Like I said, he's still working on me, but these are the things that we have to think about when it comes to those types of situations. What would we do if the people that we encounter, we thought of them as if they were Jesus? So treating everyone as if they're Jesus, it's not easy. I'm, you know, hopefully, hopefully you're hearing this, but the reality is what we do for others actually reflects what it is that we think about Jesus and what he calls us to do. You call yourself a Christian and you stingy and you don't want to support those who are oppressed or those who are poor. We got to ask some questions here. If you call yourself a Christian and you're going and wilding out like everybody else, like your life ain't, ain't different than everybody else in the world, we got to ask some questions then. What, what kind of Christian are you talking about? Because it's not a Christian of the Bible. This is not how Christ's followers ought to live and act. So we got to be introspective. So here in this parable, Jesus uh, tells here, and he describes these acts of mercy. And these are things that every single one of us can do. 
When we come to service, like when, when we ask for help here at the church, and there's people who I, I can't, I can't stand for long periods of time. I can't do a lot of walking. I can't lift over this amount. There's, there's not a lot that I can do. But let me tell you, when it comes to serving Christ, there's something all of us can do. There's something in it for everybody to be able to leverage what it is God has called us to do from the young to the old. There is always things that we can do. So it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter what skills you have. Each of us is able to serve in some kind of way. All of us. Every single one. None of us have any excuse to neglect those people who have needs. And Christ doesn't tell us to wait for the government, by the way. Now, we, we get into that, that, that cycle as well. Well, the government will take care of this. They'll, they'll do this and that. That's not the government's responsibility. It's the church's responsibility to take care of the people. And so we need to step up. Jesus demands your personal involvement in caring for others. Look with me, Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 and 7 says, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless uh, poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Uh, hey, like I said, I'm, I'm a, I've been guilty of this. You know, I want to put my head down and look away, hide myself from my flesh because I, I, I don't want to put myself out there. I don't want to overextend myself. You know, when we think of service, sometimes serving the Lord is very public. This is a lot of uh, another thing that people are hesitant about when it comes to, to serving. It's like, I don't want to be out in front. I want to do all this stuff. So, I mean, it can be public. Obviously, there's preaching and teaching like we see here today. Um, and, and I've said this before, like, I, I wouldn't have thought or dreamed that I would be doing this because I... I was not made, I was not one to be in front of people speaking on a week-to-week basis, right? If it was up to me and my flesh, I would, you know, bury myself in a room somewhere and not talk to anybody for a while. I'm that introverted. But God did something in me to, to work on me and change me and mold me into something that I would never imagine. You talk to a 16-year-old Vaughn, I would laugh at you if you told me that I would one day be a preacher. But here I am today, not because of anything of me and what I've done. It's because of everything that he's done. And so this is something that's very public, right? Not everybody is called to be a preacher. Not everybody is called to be a teacher. Not everybody is called to sing on the worship team. Although if you do have the ability to sing, we would love to have you on our worship team. Um, not everybody is called to lead various ministries and lead out from the front. But there are some of you who are gifted in those areas or are being gifted, that, that the Lord is working on you like he did for me and, and progressing you so that you can serve in these types of ways. You got to live life with an open hand and let the Lord put in and take out, right? So you might not see yourself just like I didn't see myself speaking in front of people, but God might put you there. But God might use you in that way. Or he might use you in some others because, because there's also some more unseen ways that, that you can serve or ways that might go more unnoticed. 
like when we'll be calling from for nursery workers here soon when we get these young kids and babies here i can't wait for that time we have the young families here and we have kids that are running around and we have need for a nursery we're going to need some people to work in there and be talking to them about who jesus is so even from a young age they get to know who jesus christ is uh, operating the slides in the back and operating the sound in the back. You don't notice those people until something goes wrong and everybody turn around. When that slide ain't on point, you wonder what's happening back there. You know, we get some feedback on the mics. You wonder what's going on, but nobody looks back there. They just, it's, it's not a distraction when we're in the midst of worship because that, that's a testament to how good our folks are. And again, we, we could use more people helping in that endeavor back there. Um, you know, we would love to train you. It's super easy, but that is a way for you to serve without necessarily being in front. Um, cleaning the church, again, something you don't notice until some bad. <laughs> like, where did this stain come from? Well, not here. There's stains all over the carpet now, but well, what happened here? The trash is overflowing. Uh, the, 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 th- the things haven't been empty. This hasn't been clean. There's, there's a film of dust all over the pews. You'd notice that if it didn't happen. But praise God for the people who serve, even though they're not being patted on the back every week for doing so, for doing these things, or making coffee in the morning. Who missed the coffee today? It's because you know, our, our person that's serving on the coffee ministry um, is not here today. And so uh, we don't typically notice that until it is missing. So when we serve well, you know, it often looks like an iceberg. You know, about iceberg, we see the tip of the, the, the top of it, and then we see the, the water, and below the surface is massive. You know, 80%, if not more, of the iceberg is below the surface. And that's often what uh, a service looks like, is that you just see the things that are going on from a day-to-day, from week-to-week basis, but there's so much more that's happening and going on because of faithful people making sure that it gets done. And so I personally want to say thank you, because not only is it a blessing for me, but it glorifies God in the work that each of you are doing on a day-to-week basis. So thank you for that. Outside of church, service can look like babysitting for neighbors. It can look like uh, taking meals to families in need, uh, running errands for folks who are not able to do it for themselves. There's a lot of ways that we can serve. And, and again, I know serving is not easy uh, because, like, I'll speak for myself again. I, I just, do I really feel like getting up and doing that right now? <laughs> I know you need this, but mm, my show's about to come on. Let's be honest. You know, serving is not always easy. And Apostle Paul even struggled when it came to serving God. Colossians 1 and 29, it says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he profoundly works within me. Paul says, this is hard. Like, I kind of want to do this and I kind of don't want to do this, but it's because of what the Lord is doing that I'm able to that I have the ability to. So like we've been talking about throughout this series, our flesh would rather look out for ourselves. Our flesh would rather maintain and do what's easy and do what's comfortable. Naturally, most of us 
want to be recognized for what we do, so it's even harder when you do something and nobody notices. Uh, I mean, all the pews are clean, all the trash is empty. Can I, can I get thank you or a pat on the back or somebody appreciate what's happening and what's done here? Two of the deadliest sins that we face are, sin, are sins of sloth and pride. And both of those prevent us from leaning into service. Either we're too lazy or we think too much of ourselves. And it prevents us from serving the Lord in the way that he's called us and asked us to. When we serve, we need to be careful of why we're doing it and if we're doing it out of self-righteousness or if we're doing it out of true service. We need to check in with ourselves. Like, why exactly am I doing this? So if you do something and you get mad because somebody didn't say something, you, you got to check in with yourself. Like, did I really do this because I want to serve the Lord? Or did I do this to, to get recognition from a man? Why? What's, what's the goal? You see, the self-righteous service is done purely through human effort. We just muster up the, the ways and the ability in order to get it done. We got to try to force ourselves to do it and decide if something is worthy of our effort or not. I don't know if I spend my time doing that. Is it worth my time? Is it worth my energy? Is it worth the, the money? We have to consider who's going to see us and what recognition we'll receive. This is, happens when we're doing it self-righteously. Maybe we see some paper down on the ground, but nobody's around. So you wait till somebody come in the door. Oh, I didn't see that. Let me get that paper up off the floor. <laughs> we have to look at our motives and, and why we're doing things. But true service happens even when we know others aren't watching because there's one who is, and that's God. You might not get recognition from one of us, and I'm sorry if I miss anything. I mean, I, I want to give you that recognition. I do want to give you the pat on the back. I, I do want to thank you as much as I can, but I don't see, I don't know about everything. But God knows, and God knows your heart. And that's what matters. True service happens when we do it out of reverence to God. And the self-righteous, they only serve when they, they feel like they're in the mood, when they feel like they, they, they want to do something. But true service doesn't allow these feelings to interfere with their calling and service. You might not feel like it, but you know you got to do it. You know it's got to get done. True service takes place whenever there's a need, even if it's inconvenient. I got somewhere to be, but this has got to get done because I don't want somebody else coming in and have to deal with this. That's what true service is and what it looks like. So if we don't disciple ourselves, if we don't discipline ourselves to do this service for the sake of Christ, for the sake of his kingdom, then we'll only do so when it's convenient or self-serving. So we've got to work on this discipline. We've got to exercise this service. And that's even if we serve at all. And some people just don't. Some people are satisfied with taking their place in the pew. Or like, oh, the church will be there. I don't, I don't have to go this Sunday. I'm busy this Sunday. Well, I got something. They invited me to play golf on this Sunday. And I got to do this on this Sunday. And then a year later, 
You haven't been with God's people. You haven't been worshiping together with them. And you wonder why you're not encouraged. You, you wonder why things are such a, a struggle and why you can't make ends meet. And it's because you've, you've taken yourself out of the presence of God and you have refused to serve him. Brothers and sisters, all of us as Christians are expected to serve. Each and every one of us, again, young to the old, we're all called to serve. God didn't call you to sit on your hands. This is not a passive religion. We are all called to do something. And when you're born again and your, your sins are forgiven, the blood of Jesus cleanses you and your conscience. Hebrews 9 and 14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead, works uh, to serve the living God? And this is done so that we can serve the living God, as we see this in Psalm 102, 100 verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. I know it's tough to come in on a work day with gladness, but praise God for the ability to wake up that morning, to pull yourself out of bed, to be able to go somewhere, and those things aren't the most fun thing to do, but your reward is in heaven. We, we live in this Amazon Prime mentality where we want everything right now and next day. But when we look at heaven and what's in store for us, that's what we should have our mind on. And we can experience some of that heaven here today, but we look forward to when it's going to be forever and eternity with our Lord and Savior. That's what we're waiting on. That's what we're excited about. That's what is our goal, and that's what should motivate us. And so we need to be continually motivated to serve. Uh, and this motivation not only comes from uh, uh, our eternity in heaven and what that looks like, but our motivation comes from other places as well. Firstly, from obedience. Deuteronomy 13 and 4 says, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. So we should serve the Lord because we want to obey. We want to do what he says. We want to be more like him. You know, I serve my wife because I love her that much. And even stuff that I don't really feel like or want to do, but I know that, that it, it pleases her and I want to show my love for her in my service to her. Same for family and friends. So when you think about God and what he's done, you serve him and you want to obey him because of what he's already done for you. So it's not okay to sit on the sideline and wait for others to do the work of the kingdom. It's, it's easy for these so-called Christians to say they want to obey God, but they disobey God when they don't serve him. You can't have it both ways. You can't say I'm a Christian and don't serve. Those, those two are, are go together. It is, not, it is a sin for us not to serve the Lord. It is a sin for us not to utilize the gifts that we've been given for the Lord. We should also be motivated 
by gratitude. So we're motivated by obedience. We should also be motivated by gratitude. 1 Samuel 12 and 24 says, Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. Just think about it. Think about how great God has been to you, how faithful that he's been. When you really consider what God has done for you, the least you can do is serve him in return. I mean, seriously, the least you can do is serve him in return. Because we have to remember that Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice by giving up his life for us. So you, you can't tell me you can't help sweep the floor sometimes. You can't tell me you can't uh, put aside some time to buy some gifts for people who are not going to get gifts any other way. You can't tell me that, that you can't afford to, to support missionaries who are out there doing the work of Christ to make sure that we, the, the, the message get to all the nations. You can't tell me you can't sit in the back and, and push a button to advance a slide. Because Jesus died for you, the least you can do is pull, move some knobs up and down on a Sunday morning. And he didn't do it because you deserved it. He did it because he loves you. Even though you're going to go left way or right way, when he tells you to go straight, he still loves you. He still sacrifices life for you. And understanding this, we need to be continue to motivate ourselves, obedience, gratitude, and also by gladness. Psalm um, when we, when we look at this, uh, serving the Lord is not a burden. It's, it's a privilege for us. So if you, you had to earn your way to heaven, uh, it just wouldn't be enough. <laughs> you, you could not do enough to earn your way into the kingdom. And that, would, by the way, would be the worst job that you can ever think of. Because you would be working yourself to the bone, trying so hard to live up to a holy standard that is completely unattainable. But try as you might, you will uh, not enjoy that whatsoever. But when you acknowledge that what Christ has done for you, then you can serve with gladness and joy. Like, I, I, I can do this because uh, Jesus already paid the, the penalty for me on my behalf. He, he woke me up this morning. He, he gave me a roof over my head. He put clothes on my back. He gave me a, a structure and a family around me that cares and, and loves me. And I don't have to worry about this thing or that. Or even if I'm working from paycheck to paycheck, I still got a paycheck. And he continues to, to love me and care for me the least I could do. I, I can't wait to go and help and serve somebody else. Even the little bit that I have, I want to give away so they can have something, a little bit of what I got. When we, when we serve and love the Lord, we know that it's a privilege and it's not a burden, and we can't wait to serve him and give back. And at the heart of service, we should also be motivated by love. It's the foundation for any and all things that we do. Galatians 5 and 13, it says, you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So if, you're, you're, if you were here during the series that we did in the book of Romans, uh, one of the things that the Apostle Paul continued to remind us of is the great commandment. 
when I love God and love others. What do I need to do? Easy. Love God and love others. And that's why we do everything that, that we do. And to me, this is the biggest driver for our service, is love. Mark 12 and 28 says, One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered him being Jesus, he, he, said, um, he asked them, well, which commandment is the most important of all? This is a scribe asking Jesus this, and then Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. How should you love God? With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Everything. Everything that you have, everything that you are, you should take that and love the Lord. And as you're doing that, you know, it's a, well, I'm, a, I'm working on that. I don't, I don't love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength just yet. So I'm working on it. I'm, getting, I'm about 50% there. And when I do, I'll go on to the next one. No. <laughs> this is a continual work that we have in our lives to, to love the Lord our God. And at the same time, to love others, love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So you don't finish one and the other. Like, I'm just going to start with my neighbor and then let's love God. <laughs> We're in the process of being sanctified and improved, becoming holy, and we focus on both of these. So in order to be a servant of Christ, you need to seek his will in all things and everything that you do. And as a servant, your primary desire every moment of every day needs to honor and glorify the one who brought your freedom and uh, took you out of your sin. 1 Corinthians 10 and 31, it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Whatever it is that you do, think about, is this bringing glory to God? And in order to do this, it means that you will die to yourself through self-denial. Luke 9 and 23 says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Man, you talk about a high bar. If you're going to come after me, if you're going to do what I do, I mean, really do what I do, take up your cross and follow me. So instead of thinking about yourself and what builds yourself up, then you're more concerned about seeking the pleasure of your master, and his name is Jesus. Psalm 37 and 23 says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. And like a loving master who takes responsibility for his bondservants, our Lord provides every single thing that we need when we seek the kingdom and his righteousness. Matthew 6 and 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We try to go every which way and try to do different things and get, get up and over and try to get more ways, but just follow after God and his righteousness. Philippians 4, 19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches 
in glory in Christ Jesus. Not your riches or my riches, from his riches. He got way more than I got. (laughs) He's able to do way more than any of us can even think about. So if you think about it this way, your, your life here on earth is preparing you for the eternity to come. What we get to look forward to, everything that we're experiencing here is this life is getting us ready. So all the hardships, all the struggles, everything that you're experiencing in this life will, will soon mean nothing in comparison to what is waiting for you. This pales in comparison. All the stuff that you're going through here today, it is only momentary. 2 Corinthians 4 and 17 says exactly this. For this light, momentary affliction. Let me, it might not feel light and momentary to you now, but in the grand scheme of eternity, it actually is. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient. The things that you're going to right now, the problems that you're having, the things that are bombarding you right now, those things are seen and those things are transient. They will pass away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I don't know where you are today. And I don't know what kind of struggles you're going through. But please hear me, it's, it is only momentary. If you follow after Christ and your, your goal is to build his kingdom and to be more like him, he, he will see you through even in the midst of your pain, even in the midst of your sorrow. He is there for you and he cares for you and he loves you. He loves you enough to see you through. And my prayer for everyone under the sound of my voice is that you will do whatever you can to please your Savior so that one day you'll hear these very words that we read in Matthew 25 and 21, where it says, His master said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. We, we come to you this morning because we need your help and provision as we think about serving you. When we think about serving others, uh, it's just not automatic in us. Sometimes it's, it's struggle, it's, it's hard. We got our own problems to deal with. So it's, it's hard to look outside of ourselves and serve somebody else. But, so Father, thank you for this reminder that we have here today about just how gracious and good that you've been to us that every good thing comes from you. Help to uh, mobilize us and energize us so that we can follow after what you have called us to do so that others might be blessed through us because of what you've done. Help us here individually and corporately as a church, Father, so that we can honor you and give you the recognition you rightly deserve. So, Father, I thank you so much in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.